Hey, what's up, y'all? Emily coming at you from my car. When you live in a big city, you live in these damn things. So I was just trying to keep it real with y'all and record this voice memo because um, Paige and I forgot to mention this in the episode, but we are not going to be having our patron-only Netflix Netflix party on Saturday the 30th. Um, it didn't work for several of you. You reached out. And so what we're going to do for all our patrons and donors, um, we are going to put a poll up on Patreon that everyone can see. And then we'll put a couple of different dates and times on there that work for Paige and I. And y'all can just vote on what you would like. So look for that. That is on patreon.com slash Tuesdays are for Twilight. And again, you can either be a supporter of us on Patreon, or if you donate to the Quilliet Move to Higher Ground movement, just send us proof of your donation, and you will get into that as well. Thanks, everybody. I gotta go drive now. Bye. Welcome to the show, everyone. My name is Emily. And I'm Paige. And this week, we're taking a week off of the plot in the books to talk about some issues with betrayal of the Quilliet tribe in the Twilight series. And you're listening to Tuesdays Are for Twilight. Hey Paige, what's up? How's your day today? It's been long. Um, had some medical stuff I had to get done. You know, had to do it. But I did go to an Indian buffet today, so that was really good. I did see that. What'd you get? Basmati rice, obviously. A good base. Um, there was like, I want to say it was called a chasa curry, which had... Um, tofu and peas and like obviously like a spicy coconut base um I had some kind of spiced uh chickpeas they had like just a bunch of like ginger and turmeric they're so good and then obviously chicken tikka masala it's like my favorite go-to and like a bunch of like mint chutney and some hot sauce is so good that sounds fucking incredible I'm so jealous I normally record this podcast in my bedroom, but today I'm recording in my dining room because my neighbors are having a loud party. It'd be like that. But the point of this is that I'm literally sitting like a foot and a half away from my crock pot, which is cooking my delicious dinner, and it's torturing me. What are you cooking? Just some barbecue chicken. Nothing too elaborate, but I am hungry. I mean, sounds good. Yep. We'll see. (laughs) Okay. So this week... Um, as you kind of already mentioned, we did not read a chapter. We read some stuff from the Burke Museum's project, which is called Truth versus Twilight. And then we read another article by an author, or sorry, a writer named Abigail Campos. And so if you're listening to this and you don't know what article we're talking about, it'll be in our link tree at the very top. So check it out there. Um, before we kind of jump into the content, did you have like overall impressions from this page? Um, the two main things that I really took out of it, one, which I knew this to be true, but the articles really expanded upon it. And I majored in archaeology in my undergraduate study. I, so anything about like culture and just material history is super interesting to me so one thing that I think really it was just a missed opportunity was there was just kind of I mean so far I don't know for the future but I there just really hasn't been a lot of really like 
factual looks at the cultural history and just material culture of the Quileutes. What we learned about, um, like, for example, basket weaving is a huge part of their culture, and that hasn't been touched on at all. And definitely could have been incorporated. Architecture is one thing. Um, ways of getting food and like maritime culture is not looked at. Those are all super interesting things and all important important parts of any culture, regardless of where they're from. And I feel like Stephanie had an opportunity to explore that and she didn't. And two, one of the points um, in the article by Abigail, Abigail Campo, she talks about how already indigenous populations are have been caricatured and had their identity ripped out of them basically and molded into this new thing by colonialism and just eurocentric views of what a person should be like and then so that is already in existence and then stephanie took that caricature and then made another caricature out of it made another fake identity so the falsified history of these people has just been like that's all that people know now and that there's there's a short paragraph that I want to read that talks about that that really hit home for me like I hadn't even thought about like the fact that obviously indigenous people have already been wronged so much and to add on top of that, hey, guess what? We're I, I'm actually going to take that and twist it even farther to make it something completely false. So, yeah, those were two things that really hit, like really spoke loudly to me in these readings. Yeah, I totally agree with everything that you just said. And like as someone who's read all of this, obviously, like everything that they talked about, especially in the tr in the Truth versus Twilight and in the, in the section that we read about the Quileutes and their culture, none of that is mentioned in the books ever. Like it was all new information to me. So that should tell you right there that she just literally did not do any research. It's like she looked up the name of the tribe and that was it. So anyways. <laughs> So let's just jump right in. So the first thing that we looked at was the homepage of Truth versus Twilight, which I just wanted to read one particular sentence from there. So this sentence reads, in the wake of the popularity of the book and film saga, the Quileute tribe has been forced to negotiate the rights to their own oral histories, ancient regalia and mask designs, and even the sanctity of their cemetery. Like no culture should be forced to do that. And it's just, I. I think the purpose of Paige and I doing this for me, it's, you know, to kind of acknowledge how I contributed to that um, when I, you know, when I was in the fandom back when I was a kid. I mean, obviously, I, I never visited Washington. I've never been there, but it's just like it should be an obvious statement. Like people shouldn't have to like force be forced to negotiate their own history that belongs to them. Yeah, the, the cemetery part, too, that, like, made me cringe. Imagine, imagine any, any white population and their basically sacred ground where their, where their ancestors are buried, and that was being threatened. There would be news coverage, there would be, uh, like, petition signings, all kinds, we would know about it, but 
I mean, we you hear this a lot in like true crime that people of color, especially like women of color, too, are quote unquote less dead because they're considered not as important in the public eye and especially to the police. And I feel like that is permeating here. Like, I feel like people didn't really care because they weren't white. It was indigenous people who are already have taken the brunt of being taken advantage of and violence throughout the course of American history. So yeah, I, if, if any of this was happening to white populations through the course of a series getting global attraction, I think we would know much more about it and we would have known more about it earlier on than what is happening right now. Yeah. Yes, I totally agree. Um, did you have anything else on the homepage that you wanted to point out? Um, they talk a little bit on the homepage about how they, the Quileute tribe hasn't really received any benefits, whether that be monetary or otherwise. Um, but that's explored later on in the the next section of the Burke Museum website. So we can talk about that when we get there. Okay. Yeah, I mean, one thing that I want to do with this discussion is, you know, not just call out the injustice of it all, because, like, that's obviously really important, but also, like, talk about them and, like, what's cool about them and what we learned, because, like, you know, it's it's a disservice to them, too, to just always be like, oh, we ruined their lives. Like, while that may be true, like, they are this this culture, this really deep culture that has all these really awesome and cool things about them. So... I think we could talk about that now because we read the entire um, Quileute section. And I thought the salmon thing was really cool how they're like, they work with like the state to to do the fishing. Um, so I'll just read that uh, little section. Salmon is still a staple of the Quileute and all of the people of the Northwest. Quileute tribal members participate in commercial fishing and the tribe operates a natural resource management department that works with several state agencies and the Northwest Indian Fisheries Commission to keep the local salmon runs healthy and sustainable. Like that's really important and something that probably not a lot of people know. This part, I I loved it. This is the part that I, I it so fascinated me. As I mentioned earlier, um, I did major in archeology. span So we did learn a lot about different indigenous, um, North American indigenous cultures. And so I still have several of my textbooks from those classes. So I just wanted to read a little passage. Um, so this book is called Ancient North America. It's written by Brian Fagan, and it's all about archaeology of North America. And so this is the introductory paragraph for the section on the West Coast, basically. So it expands to California and Oregon, but also Washington. The Russian, Spanish, and English explorers who first sailed the western coast of North America between the 16th and 18th centuries found themselves in one of the richest marine environments on Earth. Here they encountered a great diversity of Native American populations, not only small bands of hunter-gatherers, but elaborate, highly sophisticated societies where people lived in large, permanent communities under powerful leaders. Ocean fishing and sea mammal hunting were important all along the west coast, especially after about eight or sorry, especially after 4000 BC, but assumed particular importance along the Northwest coast and in central and Southern California. 
Here, people developed highly specialized fishing and sea mammal hunting cultures that evolved into some of the most complex and elaborate hunter-gatherer societies in the world. The study of this remarkable cultural complexity has engaged archaeologists for generations, as have the origins of the simpler societies that preceded them. And I am so fascinated with tool specialty in cultures that special in that cultures that focus on fishing and sea mammal hunting if you look at the toolkits for like plain indians or people who live not along the water it's pretty straightforward like five to seven tools because you're basically just hunting large mammals and that's it the toolkits that are used by cultures that hunt and fish there's like 20 plus specialized tools it's so fascinating like they literally they how do i want to say it? it's just so interesting i'm lost for words people really i feel like write off ancient civilizations as you know, they're not civilized, they didn't have an education, this and that, like, oh, the pyramids were built by aliens. I don't know how to tell you this, but like, humans are so smart. And given a, a problem, they will find a tool to fix that problem. We There's a reason why we evolved to be the intelligent creatures that we are. Like, our brains are literally built to solve problems like this. So when you're living in an environment that like, oh, there's a pretty large marine population here, like we could really exploit this resource if we figured out how. And societies along coasts really freaking did that. It is so cool. If you have the time, just Google like toolkits of like Inuit populations or any of the Northwest or on the even the East Coast, like what their tools look like, it is fascinating. Fish hooks, harpoons, all these kinds of crazy like deboning tools. You know, I'd like to see any just regular old schmo catch a fish with freaking rocks. You to try it, just try and do it. No, you're not gonna be able to do it. Like they are so specialized. It is just super, super interesting to research. Yeah, thank you for bringing that um, to the table because. Yeah, I, as not an archaeology degree person, I do not know much about that. And it's it's fascinating. You're so right. And I think there's an interesting dichotomy there because I feel like a lot of people are like, oh, like, like vanished, quote unquote, vanished civilizations are super interesting, like Machu Picchu or like the Aztecs. Like people think that's always really cool. But I'm like, there are living existing cultures that existed at the same time as that or even before that y'all are just ignoring and I you know I'm not I'm guilty of that too but I just think that like we have this interesting dichotomy as a society where we're like wow that's so cool or like Pompeii you know something like that where it's like yeah those people were alive for that I mean not the same people but you know what I mean yeah and um another super interesting thing it's I mean honestly it's not even interesting I feel like it's it makes sense, but people don't really pay attention to it. I would say all the entirety of 
North American indigenous people knew what the fuck they were doing in terms of taking care of the land and not over exploiting it. Like they practiced different uh, seasons of um, like burning to not let trees get out of control and to keep the soil rich. They didn't overplant in different areas so as not to deplete the soil. They're, they wouldn't overhunt to make sure that not like that there were still going to be populations of animals for later and also that the natural like the the I guess the flora isn't depleted either like there was a huge complex understanding of how the environment worked and how to live in that environment without over exploiting it which when the freaking pilgrims came over and white people began to move west as as going along with oh they're you know these people they don't know what they're doing they're uncivilized no sir you're the reason why everything is going to shit one thing that i think is super interesting it's not relevant but it goes along with what i'm saying the when people came when the pilgrims came over they brought earthworms with them as not like on purpose there were just worms there and worms are not native of north america they came over from europe and then slowly began consuming the foliage that falls on the ground because that's what worms eat they like eat up leaves and stuff and live in the soil and obviously indigenous people have no need to rake leaves or get rid of everything because leaves and all the foliage and stuff it feeds the soil it just becomes part of the earth again but then the worms started e eating everything slowly and that contributed to the depletion of the natural resources that indigenous people were utilizing isn't that crazy that is crazy it's just like everything about their lives was altered by by white people coming to settle exactly and the whole reason i brought this up is that Clearly, the Quileute population is still participating in this how to how to fish and be a part of the salmon fishing operation, but not over exploiting it, you know, making sure that we're doing safe practices that keep the ecosystem still in balance. And I think that's super awesome because indigenous people literally have been doing this longer than we have been here so why shouldn't we listen to them they know more about this than we do absolutely absolutely and while we're kind of on that subject of like white people coming and just ruining everything i do think we need to mention um this section on the quilts does mention the boarding school situation um it doesn't go super into you know like details of it but um it does say you know, that they were forced into religious conversion and that children were beaten for speaking their native languages in missionary schools. Um, as I'm sure most of you know, if you've been following the news at all, there's a big reckoning about this happening right now, especially in Canada. Um, but obviously it happened in the United States as well with just mass murder of indigenous children at these boarding schools. So. I think it's probably safe to say that, like, the Quileutes experienced some of that. Absolutely. The sentence um, that stuck with me in surviving through adversity, um, 
it says boarding schools force religious conversion and the reservation system aimed to quote unquote kill the Indian and save the man and made traditional practices and language difficult and even dangerous to practice. That was the line that really stuck with me because they the colonizers had this preconceived notion of what a person is supposed to be. And so they're gonna kill that what they think is just like abhorrent to them, the Indian, and replace them with this white Eurocentric Christian person. And I like I hate I hate to be that person to say it, but all cultures are super cool and culture diversity is super fucking cool. And it is it is disgusting and just a horrible part of history. But just remember that like all cultures I mean I don't I don't have to tell the listeners and you this because I know we know it but all cultures are amazing and worth worth being in existence there there's no need for there's why why do I even have to say the sentence there's no need for genocide why can't why can't we just understand that as the fucking human race I don't know retweet but going back to cool stuff Sorry. Oh, I was I was going to say going back to cool stuff, too. <laughs> going back to cool stuff about the Quileutes, there are three sections basically in this um, section about them called Stories, Art, and Life, Life Today. And stories kind of touched on things that we had talked about in the past with, you know, kind of their origin story and how um, one of their gods, Kwati, the Transformer, he had turned... Um, a wolf into a human because there was no humans there and he wanted there to be humans there. Um, one thing that really stuck out to me from from the story section was um, that the wrongful use of myth or legend, that, that was like brand new information to me. Like basically what it was saying is that um, it's wrong to call their stories myths or legends because that that trivializes them that makes them seem like they're like a fantasy story where it's like actually their origin story it's true for them it's oral tradition that's been passed down for centuries so yeah that was something that i really learned that you shouldn't um refer to them as that i completely agree i feel like in school we that's exactly how their stories were taught to us you know like not that they were taught to us but just that like oh native americans have a rich culture in myths and it explains this and that and like that's just how it was taught you know so reading that I was like I it makes complete sense I wouldn't have thought that so I'm glad that that paragraph was in there because I feel like that's totally going to change the way that I talk about these things yeah me too definitely um and then also in this section they talked about like yes wolves and their relationship to wolves are important but it's not the only thing about their culture they have an additional four ceremonial societies and so those revolve around wolves fish the whale and even the weather and so you know they're obviously really connected with the natural world and not just focused on on one thing also sorry i'm gonna let you talk Paige, but the sentence that I loved the most from this page was um, the spiritual world of the Quileute is a diverse and complex system that only Quileute people are privileged to know deeply about. And I think that's really important to mention, too. Like we can talk about it and we can, you know, do our research, which is what we're trying to do. But ultimately, it's not our story. You know, 
only they have the privilege and the right to share it. Yeah, 100%. It's it's unfortunate that we have to be having this conversation because a culture was exploited and misconstrued to an enormous amount of people. But that point in of itself is super, super, it's cool and important that like we can do the research and we can learn what they want us to learn. But in the end, it is their culture and the things that they want to keep secret and not secret things that they want to keep, you know, within their community and have it be theirs is 100% in their right to do that. Right. Definitely. Um, did you have anything from stories that I didn't cover? No. Okay. Um, so then there's a section on art and Paige had already mentioned the basket weaving. That was really interesting to me, um, especially because it's usually women that are doing that. And so they actually named um, some of their most famous basket weavers and they had some pictures of them, which I thought was really cool. Um, and then, you know, it also talked about their other forms of art, like their carving, which I always think that carving is really interesting. And I should say that later on carving is a thing that Jacob does, um, but it's not really ever identified as, you know, celebrating his culture in any way. Like, I didn't know that it was a, th a thing in culture until I read this. Yeah, I, I, reading this section is a huge part of where I thought Stephanie missed a really great opportunity to honor the Quileutes and give them a way to benefit from this. Because imagine if there had been a, this huge section exploring the art of Quileute people and, oh, you know, Bella stumbles upon this beautifully woven basket and asks about it and gets like all of this great information about like, yeah, this is a huge part of our culture. Like I'll, I'll show you where we have a basket weaver in, in our community and then takes her there. And for people who decided they wanted to show up on the reservation and get a tour, they could be like, Hey, I heard basket weaving was a huge part of your culture. Can I learn more about that? Can I see the baskets? And even buy the baskets and maybe give some financial compensation for like their interest in the culture. I feel like that would have been a really great opportunity to help talk about some awesome parts of the culture and even give them some financial compensation for it. That was mess. That was a missed opportunity. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, it does list some places that you can see those. Um, there is a large um, exhibit of art at the Burke Museum, which is, you know, the the person that's partnering with, or the person, the museum that's partnering with the Quileutes um, to do this project. So that's pretty cool. Um, and then I'm trying to see, I liked that it had kind of like a thing that women do and a thing that men do, you know, and it was talking about their like complex governmental system and how women do have like an important role and you know, obviously that's something that white people have struggled with for a long time. <laughs> so, you know, it's just another example of like how complex their society is. Absolutely. And I, art is such a huge part in pretty much any indigenous culture. And again, that was a huge thing that was so cool to me learning about in my undergraduate. And if you have the time, literally look up any native art it is so cool like especially indigenous populations in alaska you should look up like they make special pottery and 
um, like, I don't even want to call it painting, but just like they make these masks that are absolutely stunning. They are beautiful. So if anyone has a time, not even quill you, but just it, any kind of artwork done by indigenous populations in North America will definitely be worth your time looking into. It's super, super cool. Yes, totally. And if you go to our link tree, we have had um, an anti-racism resource card up on there for a while. Um, and let's just see really quick. Um, so that we've mentioned this before, but that is done by a Tumblr user named Aaron, whose username is Renegade Pack. And on that card, they have a lot of um, like places to donate and things like that. And I'm pretty sure that they have links to art. Um, I can't remember exactly. I'm trying to look skim right now, but there's a, um, a lot of links in there. But if not, uh, Tumblr is a really great resource. I always see, you know, like native art being circulated around. So definitely check into it. I mean, um, we have the holiday season coming up pretty soon, actually. So um, it, it might be cool to just explore that and get some get some cool native gifts for the people in your life. Absolutely. And I'm sure that you were getting at this, but like make sure you're buying from like an actual like not someone who is taking advantage of someone else's culture, like buying directly from an indigenous person is like going to be the most beneficial, you know? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But thanks for emphasizing that. So I'm going to read another little section from my book um, about archeology. span That's also super interesting and relevant. The local carpenters used tough, polished rocks or shell blades in their odzes and chisels, taking advantage of the straight-grained wood to build large plank houses at winter villages and other important locations. They reserved some of their finest woodworking artistry for their canoes, large and small. Skilled, skilled canoe builders fashioned war and heavy load-carrying canoes from specially felled tree trunks and then carved and smoothed them carefully. The carpenters made a magnificent array of wooden artifacts, adorning many of them with an art style that is among the most celebrated in American Indian art forms. Just super, super cool stuff, guys. Super cool. Yes, and I just remembered, you just made me remember how they were talking about how in the Quileute culture, they don't do totem poles, which was really interesting because I thought that was pretty like common across, you know, which obviously was a dumb thought of mine, but I thought it was pretty common across, you know, like North American native tribes, but they were kind of saying like, um, they're, you know, more into house posts and rounded shapes. Um, so they have like their own distinct style in that area, which is really cool. Yeah. And, um, architecture too. I don't know if this is, if it's ever mentioned in Twilight at any point, but I feel like the stereotype for native architecture is a teepee and that's just not what every culture used because it's not the resources that every culture had available to them. So Northwest natives usually had like houses, like long houses built from big pieces of wood that kind of almost resembled like a, just like a colonial house, you know, like, just like a rectangular house you know so I don't know if they ever talk about any of that in Twilight like what if they do any house stuff at all no they don't but I'm glad that you bring that up because that was kind of the next section and the final section on this website that we um read for this week 
but it's kind of talking about modern life. And um, it does talk about the longhouses that Pages is referencing. Um, and so it says that that's what they used to live in a lot um, back in previous generations, but now they usually use them as like a community space for like events and ceremonies. Um, I liked that they listed like the specific ceremonies. So that was name giving, marriages, memorials, and, and memorials. And um, something that just really stuck out to me on this page, I love that they were going for it, but they really like called it what it is. They said, many Twihards have so little knowledge of modern Indian people that they don't know what to expect on an Indian reservation. And so, and then another quote that's a little bit earlier on, it says, it's hard for some people to imagine that both modern life and traditional teachings can coexist. They can and do. That was like the most powerful line to me in this entire section that we read, um, just because it's like, I feel like that's the major disconnect that a lot of people have about Native cultures. Yeah, I, this, I think this is going to go hand in hand with what we're going to talk about in the next article about how people already had this twisted idea of what an indigenous person is supposed to be like. And then Stephanie then twisted it even farther into something that isn't real. So people are showing up to this reservation expecting a falsity. I don't know if that's a word, a false, a falsity. It is now. <laughs> um, and then we're shocked to find just real people living their normal lives, you know, nothing, nothing absurd or crazy about it, you know, like, what were you expecting, I guess, I, it's, I, I also just, like, I, I guess I don't know, do reservations even want people coming in and, like, touring, I, I guess I just don't know enough about reservations in general, uh, to me, I would think that like, if it were my home, I just wouldn't want, like, strangers just coming in and just looking around. Yeah, I honestly don't know. I mean, if I had to guess, I would say it probably just depends on the specific tribe or the specific reservation. Um, you know, they did kind of reference that, not specifically about touring the reservations, but they were saying that some Quileutes, like, appreciated the, the you know, increased attention that they got because of the Twilight series and some like wish it had never been written and wish they had never been part of it. And so I think that's true probably of what you're asking too. Like I'm sure that everyone has a different opinion on it. Yeah. In my mind, I'm just picturing like, like tourist places are meant for people to come and look at it. Like the Grand Canyon is meant for people to come and look like that's the whole reason it's there. But, like, a reservation is where people live. You know, it's just, like, someone's home. So, like, would I want strangers just coming around my neighborhood just to look around, you know? I I don't know if I would. But, like you said, everyone is entitled to their own opinions. And, obviously, the Quileute population has their own business about it. And they have their own, obviously, different opinions about this and that and this topic in general so I'm just making those statements as an outsider about the situation so I was just wondering yeah yeah no it's a good question um are you ready to move on to the second article yeah okay so as we said earlier this was written by an individual named Abigail, Abigail Campos and she was a student 
at University of Texas at San Antonio. I don't know. Oh, yes, this um, article is from July of 2020. So it was kind of in the wake of the Midnight Sun announcement and all of that coming out. So basically what Abigail talks about, I mean, her headline is how Twilight has affected the real Kulia tribe. And that's really what it's about. Um, so she does cover some of the background that we have talked about already with fishing being, you know, um, a, a huge part of their lives and how this book series, she explains how it produced, it was propelled into a multi-million dollar industry. I mean, that's true. Like these, these movies raised millions of dollars for the people who created them and none for the Quileute tribe, as we know. So where Abigail really begins to kind of make her point um, is this quote, and I had written it down because I wanted to read it. Um, With Meyer's more cavalier approach to the Quileute's folklore, she created a fictitious narrative of the indigenous people by sensationalizing their legends to better sustain her supernatural teen love story and to dismiss the tribe's core values as real life people. I think that really sums up, you know, what she's saying and what we've been talking about, obviously. So she also cites an interview that they did with an individual named Anne Penn Charles. Um, Abigail did not do this interview, but, you know, she's citing it. And Anne is a Quileute tribe member. And so she was just really confused as she was explaining to this interviewer because you know, these middle school age girls and their families were showing up and like expecting to meet werewolves. And, you know, she kind of saw it as an opportunity to educate people, but obviously a lot of Quilly were offended by that um, for good reason. Yeah, right almost directly beneath that um, was the paragraph that I, that really hit home for me. It's important to the Quileute people to establish themselves as human beings first. By choosing to make them imaginary creatures over real people, over real people, Meyer further alienates a surviving tribe that is already facing a society that sees them as a figment of the past. Like, that is so true. Like, I, I feel like a lot of people kind of just assume, like, oh, like, cowboys and Indians like oh that's a thing from the past native people aren't you know like oh that's like a thing from the 17 1800s no indigenous people still exist and they're living in our world just as much as we're living in our world right now so making them imaginary and making them something that they're not while they're already facing a world that doesn't even consider them like people you know like considers them a caricature I can't imagine how frustrating and difficult that must have been especially in the height of all of this when tourists are showing up expecting this falsification yes yeah yeah that's exactly what I was going to say too it's like the world didn't make space for the truth about these Quileute the Quileute people and we don't do that with really any indigenous people. In fact, we actively took space from them, both in reality, physically and metaphorically. And so I guess if you take one thing away from this episode, from me at least, like just make some space to learn the truth about cultures that you don't know anything about. You don't need to be ashamed that you don't know anything about them. I didn't either, but it's about doing the work and, and being deliberate about that and intentional. 
And you might also learn something super cool and fascinating. Like in all of the study that I did on just material culture, I got to learn so much about culture culture. I don't know how to describe that. Like just how different people existed existed and exist in the world, different stories that are told, different meanings to different things. It's just you might learn something that completely fascinates you or opens your eyes to things that you never found interesting. So I think it's worthwhile to explore anything like that. I it's it's super cool to me and I can imagine it can be super cool to other people as well. Definitely. Yeah. Um, Abigail does mention on here, which I think is a thing that we've talked about before, that she says, due to the media coverage during this time, the Quileute tribe was able to finally win back a fraction of their former land. Um, that was under President Obama. I just, I do want to say, and I'm not like blaming Abigail for this at all, but I think it's important when we talk about that and how they did that, we acknowledge that it was them that accomplished it. It wasn't because Twilight got famous and people were talking about it. It was because they worked hard, they lobbied in Congress, and they won just a small fraction of the land that they deserve and used to own. Absolutely. I feel like the least that Twilight could do would be to leverage them into that situation. The least they could do, you know, like it's, not the Twilight fans' fault that they were put into this situation, but at least we can give them that that small bit to get what they deserve. Yes. Yeah, definitely. So the end of Abigail's article is kind of just saying, you know, it's important to recognize the part that we play. You know, obviously I was talking about the part that I played you know, when I was part of the fandom and, you know, Paige and I have a podcast about Twilight. I mean, we make like $4 every three months on off of it, um, you know, just by perpetuate, like by, by participating in the conversation, you know, we are engaging with that media that had this, this problematic portrayal of, of this actual real life culture. And so, you know, obviously we want to make space for these types of conversations. We invite you to join in these conversations to send in your thoughts, um, and yeah, Paige, did you have anything to add? I just think that uh, you mentioned this, I, I think in the very first episode, that when you're a fan of something, you can enjoy that thing and think it's super awesome and love it. But you should also be able to hold a magnifying glass up to it and grapple with the issues that it brings. And say and confront what's wrong with it and where it can improve and make sure that you're open and honest about the issues because sweeping things under the rug don't help the situation. They don't stop the situation. They in fact make the situation worse. So with any media or anything that you enjoy just to always keep a critical eye on those kinds of things so we can have these conversations and see what we can do to fix them so you know obviously we are going to be doing that in this podcast we have been doing that in this podcast but don't just limit it to twilight limit it or expand it to all other parts of your life and maybe things will get a little better you know for everyone that's living here yes definitely and with everything we've been talking about, obviously, you know, we talk about it every episode, but 
it bears repeating and repeating and repeating, you know, one small thing that we all can do that can become a big thing if we if we work together is to spread awareness to and if you're able donate to the Quileute's campaign and project to move their cultural lands, especially their school to areas that are not as threatened by climate change. So you can learn all the information about that, spread the word and donate. And that's at www.mthg.org. So for next week, we'll be back to New Moon. We're going to be reading chapter 15, which is called Pressure. Do you have any predictions for what's next, Paige? I think that there's going to be maybe some pressure added to the vampire hunt. Like maybe something intense is going to happen. Like, oh no, Victoria's been spotted closer and closer. We got to, we got to, get things going, but it could also be like maybe a little hot steamy pressure between Bella and Jacob. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> we will see. Um, I think we can skip our social medias for this time just so that we can center the, the move to higher ground project. Um, but we will be back next week to continue on with new moon. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Bye guys. Bye.